chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus is going to be addressing the issues that I'm sure you get asked on a very frequent basis. And that is, is God fair? Is God just? Some of you might even be Ask the question, is God generous? The parable proceeds from the statements in chapter 19. You'll recall the rich young ruler. You'll recall Peter's question. The rich young ruler asked Jesus, what good things must I do to have eternal life? In chapter 19, verse 16, Peter said, we've left everything and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? You'll remember that chapter 19 ended with Jesus saying, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so this parable is the punctuation mark of the paradox that's previously been given. In this parable, Jesus addresses the motives of the heart towards service. Peter's asked the question, what's in it for me? And again, once again, the king gives instructions, but also warnings to the disciples 
Peter's question in part suggests the expectation that perhaps the disciples should get more because they started first. They were the first in line. Shouldn't God give preferential treatment to those who began the work and then continued the work and stayed the course and bore the heat of the day? Now remember what we've already learned for those of you who have been following along in our study in the Bible. A parable is an earthly story that represents a heavenly truth. It has the quality of being able both to conceal from people who don't want to know the truth and reveal to those who do want to know the truth. Jesus has spoken about the dangers of wealth. And now he speaks about the dangers of selfish motives for service. Those who are first in their own eyes may find themselves last on the day of judgment. So in order to talk about this parable, let's just begin with the setting. Who are the players in the parable? Number one, we have a principled landowner with a vineyard. Number two, we have groups of people hired throughout the day. One in the morning, one in the mid-morning, One at noon, one late in the afternoon. So the people are hired throughout the day in order to work a vineyard in a time-sensitive project. In order to answer the question, what is the meaning of the parable? We're going to have to first answer the question, what it doesn't mean. Clearly, whatever it doesn't mean, it can't mean that you earn your salvation. It also can't simply be a parable about rewards. The reason why we know this is no one in heaven will complain about being saved. We also know that no one works or labors for salvation. This flies in the face of the passages that are repeatedly spoken of in the New Testament where you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so for the person who wants to be in the ministry or love Jesus or work for Jesus or participate in the kingdom in order to be saved, Jesus has already made it abundantly clear clear, you don't get to participate in the kingdom. You can't work your way into heaven. For the person who is wondering whether or not there's equal pay for equal work, we learn in the Bible that rewards are given by Jesus to people based on faithfulness and obedience and service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. For the person who says, I want to work my way to heaven, the answer is, sorry. You can't do that. For the person who says, 
I want all of the benefits, all of the rewards, without any of the faithfulness, without any of the obedience, without any of the service. There's also sorry. You see, the person who wants to be saved, guess what? You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. The person who wants an abundant life and all of the benefits of life, but they don't want to do any of the work, there's also a sorry. The central meaning and application must deal with the attitude of the heart of service to the master in the kingdom. So the parable is about our attitude towards service, but clearly there are other elements as well. The landowner is just. The workers agree to work, one for a specific wage, another for what seems right in verses 4 and 7. So it begins with a warning about wages. Look what it says in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Remember, this is a kingdom parable. This isn't about people who need to get into the kingdom, but people who are participating in the kingdom. And again, we're asking and answering the question, is the Lord generous? Is the Lord fair? The Lord is going to use an everyday picture to communicate this truth. Israel was full of vineyards. The harvest schedule usually began in April and it went all the way to November. But in the Middle East, particularly in Israel, even at this very moment, the ripening of the grapes begins right around the first week in June. It's also a time of rain. And it's also a time-sensitive project. And in the ancient world, work began at sunrise and work ended at sunset. And so it says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. How early? I'm going to suggest to you it's sometime before 6 o'clock. It's even as the, 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 the sun is beginning to dawn, he needs people to help in a very time-sensitive project. And in verse 2 it says, Now when he, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out into the vineyard. Now remember, in the parable, the landowner and the laborers agree on the terms. This should come as a shock and as a surprise to you. This isn't some heavy-handed person going, Look, you want a job? Then you have to agree to my terms. That's actually not what happened. The workers played a role in the negotiations. They talk. The both parties agree to specific terms. It gives us a glimpse of mutual respect, incorporating mutual interests, mutual needs, mutual expectations. But the parable's main point isn't about labor law or management philosophy. Jesus is relating a common practice of the day. The landowner goes out. He's hiring a crew for the day. The landowner is committed to getting in the crop 
before it either spoils or the rain destroys the crop. The landowner knows just how time sensitive it is. So he goes to the day labor pool early in the morning about before six, I think. He strikes a contract with the first wave of workers. Look, here's what I'm willing to do. And if you're willing to receive it, I'll pay you a denarius. A denarius was a small silver coin about the size of a modern dime. It was a day's wage in Caesar's army. I've told you repeatedly that with a denarius, you could usually buy a place to stay, a loaf of bread, two cups of wine. It wasn't great money. It wasn't bad money. It was a fair wage. In the time of Jesus... It was considered a sin to withhold wages. People literally lived hand to mouth like so many people today. There are many people who are listening to this message right at this very moment that if for some reason, if it was discovered that they wouldn't get a check this week or next week, it would put them in a tailspin. And so you can imagine in this time period and in this place most people had little or no savings in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 15 it says quote each day you shall give him his wages and do not let the sun go down on it for he is poor and has set his heart on it lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you in the old testament it was considered an issue of sin if you withheld wages. It was sin if you didn't give a person exactly what was due to them. Because um, imagine you're working and, and the person says, don't you understand just how much I'm counting on this? Hey, I'm sorry, we can't pay you. And so it says in verse 3, and he went out about the third hour. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go out into the vineyard. And note, whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. In other words, the basis of the agreement was the nature of the landowner. It was the character of the landowner. The person who's entering into the agreement has to ask and answer this question. Can I trust that this person is going to do what's right, what's fair? It says in verse 5, again he went out about the sixth and then again the ninth hour and did likewise. Again, once again the owner's dealing with the time-sensitive project. He goes out throughout the day. He hires a crew at six o'clock in the morning. He hires a crew at nine o'clock in the morning. He hires a crew at noon. He hires a crew at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then he hires a crew at five o'clock. Now I want you to think about this. Imagine you get a job and you go, and you've been standing there all day waiting to work, and it's 5 o'clock, there's just a very few moments left. This is the 11th hour, by the way, in the Bible. The 11th hour is the hour right before the sun goes down. Can you imagine how much courage it takes to accept employment when other people are now leaving their job? These people are ready to go home. And you're ready to work. 
And again, it's important that you note that there are two kinds of workers. Those who are working under contract, I'm going to pay you a denarius. Another that's working without a contract. They're working without a contract. They've agreed to whatever is right, I will give you. In verse 4, so they went. The people working with no contract trusted the owner's character, trusted the owner's integrity. This explains in part why the owner pays the last workers first and the first workers last. You, you remember the words of Jesus, the first shall be last and the last will be first. I think that, the, that he wants to show the guys he hired at six o'clock just how generous he could be with those who are working with no contract and with no attention to the clock. In verse 6, it says, And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here all idle all day? Don't you know we're in a recession? Don't you realize that one out of every five people are unemployed? Don't you realize how difficult it is to get a job? Don't you realize that I've went to school and I'm laboring and I've paid back debts? This, this little glimpse in the parable should offer us a moment of reflection. Dear Christian, how much of your life has been spent idle? What have you done with your life? Where are you in life? Have you just simply woken up? Are you making your way towards noon? Is it the afternoon? Is the sun starting to set? Has it become evening? Where are you in your life? What have you done with your life? And how many times has Jesus approached you and said, would you come and work with me? Will you come and labor in my vineyard? Look what it says in verse 7. They said to him, because no one hired us. They didn't say we're lazy, we're idle, we're unwilling to work, or we don't want to work. The implication seems to be a group of people, even though it's late in the day, who are motivated to do something. He said to them, you go into the vineyard. The day is almost over with. Look, whatever, you should underline it, whatever is right, you'll receive. And so there's a warning about wanting more and watching others. Look what it says in verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to, the, to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about five o'clock in the afternoon, they received a full 
day's wage, a denarius. How interesting. And when those came who were hired about the the 11th hour, they received a denarius. Now, again, in the parable, the last literally are first. The ones who were hired last received the same payment. When the men hired at 6 o'clock in the morning saw the workers receiving a full day's wage, they're thinking about expectations. Their expectations begin to soar. In verse 10 it says, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise received each a denarius. So if the men who worked one hour received one denarius, you can imagine that some of the people working 12 hours would think, well, maybe I'll get six or maybe I'll even get 12 denarius, 12 hours. We should get 12 denarii. By the way, denarii is the plural of denarius. They're thinking we have a gold mine on our hands. But each received exactly the same wage. The first set of workers had become overconfident. They started off confident and then they ended disappointed. Now we can have confidence in the Lord, but we're not to be overconfident. And so part of the point is this. Should we expect less than we deserve? The answer is no. Should we expect what we deserve? For some of us, should we expect more than we deserve? Because there's really two people in the parable. Those who got exactly what they deserved and those who got far more than they deserved. And again, this provides us with maybe one of the most important points of the parable. It's what is your motive in serving? What is your motive in living? What is your attitude towards service in the Lord? Are you serving the Lord in the hopes that you'll get to heaven? Remember what we've already learned. You don't go to heaven on the basis of service. You go because you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself, lest any person should boast. Should you get more than you deserve? When it comes to abundant life. If you sleep in every single day. If you're lazy. If you refuse to work. Or because you're thinking I'm doing this for a reward. Do you serve the Lord? Because you love him. And that you find in Christ. Abundant life, joyful life, satisfying life. Do you serve the Lord because you love him? Or because you're looking for some sort of reward? And in verse 11, look what it says. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. The men hired early are upset because the guys hired later got paid exactly the same. Here's what what they're doing. They're accusing the landowner of being unkind, unfair. The specific accusation is 
unfair compensation. But the accusation is not really a revelation about the character of the landowner. It's really a revelation about the character of the worker. Can you imagine? And some of you might be distressed at this very moment as you're reading this passage. Because you think about how unfair it is and how unkind it is that other people get paid more than you do. When I was preparing this message, I did a little investigation. I found out that Bill Gates' estimated worth now is in excess of $78 billion. Now, back in the day when he only had $72 billion, someone calculated that if his fortune generates a 6% return on investment, he makes $114.16 every second. Every second. I want you to just imagine you're walking down the sidewalk with Bill Gates. There's a $100 bill on the sidewalk and you, you look at him and then you look at the bill and he's not going to pick it up because the, the second that it would take to stoop down and pick it up, he's going to make more money just by keep on walking. By the way, would you pick up the $100? How many of you would pick up the $100 bill? All of the hands go up except for a few. The ones whose hands didn't go up, see me after the service. Some of you won't pick a penny up off the ground because you go, it's, it's not worth the wear and tear on my back. Bill Gates made more money this morning when he just simply got up, took a shower, got dressed, ate breakfast, left for work, than you will make an entire month and some of you in an entire year. The men really had nothing to complain about. They received exactly what they agreed to. Peter must have been thinking, wait a minute. Time out, Jesus. What does this parable have to do with me? Perhaps the disciples thought again the same thing. What will I get? Am I a contract laborer? Do I want a contract? Do I want to agree to a day's wage for a day's work? Peter, Peter, what bargain have you made with the Lord? What bargain have you made with the Lord? What is it that you agreed to? What did you say you would do? Jesus, if you'll come into my life, if you'll rescue me, if you'll save me, this is what I agree to do. Do you think the Lord is generous? Do you think he's stingy? What did you agree to do with the Lord? Some so-called Christians think that they can write their own ticket or that God owes them something or that they deserve something. But remember, there's two kinds of payment that are being made in the parable. One that was agreed to and one that was based on the character and grace and mercy of the offer that was being extended. Are you willing to work 
for what God's willing to give you. You see, there are those people who don't trust God's character. They don't trust God's judgment. They don't trust God's integrity. Paul wrote that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God in Ephesians chapter 3 Verse 17 through 21, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout the ages, world without end. Amen. Do you think the Lord wants to cheat you? You don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, God let me down. God cheated me. I'm angry with God. Whenever I hear someone say I'm angry with God, I just cringe. I just want to hide. I literally did that one time. Someone came into my office and said, you know, I'm really upset. I'm angry with God. And I literally got underneath my desk. And the person went around and said, what are, what are you doing? I go, don't you fear God? Aren't you afraid that the, that the roof is going to cave in on us? That lightning is going to come from the sky? Aren't you concerned about the character and the integrity of God which you've just impugned? In Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, it says, Shall not the judge of the earth do what's right? In Romans 5, we see Paul use the phrase repeatedly that God will give you so much more. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, 15, 17, 20, that the Lord isn't interested in not only being unfair with you, he's wanting to be generous with you. Based on his character, based on his love. Warren Wearsby writes, quote, We must watch our motives for Christian service. The right work done with the wrong motive dishonors God and robs us of his blessing. But only you know your motive. Only you know the truth about what's going on inside of your heart. And for the Christian who desires something more than Christ probably misunderstands what it means to have Jesus, to have his love, to have his grace, to have his mercy, to have his generosity, to have his favor, to have Grace upon grace upon grace. Now we begin to understand the parable. There are two kinds of people in the parable. Those who are counting on payment. And those who are counting on grace. By the way. 
the workers hired early took their eyes off the job and turned their eyes on their fellow servants. And then they became bitter. Peter watched the rich young ruler walk away. One was rich. One was poor. One accepted Jesus. The other walked away. Peter might have thought, look, he's still rich. I'm still poor. By the way, there's not a single high school or college called rich, uh, the, the young rich man from the parable college. You know, there's St. Petersburg churches and St. Petersburg colleges and St. Peter's high schools. There's no rich young ruler institution. What will I get? If I follow Jesus. Now we begin to understand the question and the answer. What will you get if you follow Jesus? I'll pause for just a moment because there's two answers. If you follow Jesus, you will get exactly what you deserve. If you don't follow Jesus, you will get exactly what you Some of you may get more than you deserve. So, imagine you get to choose between two things. Getting exactly what you deserve or getting grace. Based on the character and the integrity and the generosity of the person who makes the choice. Wanting more, watching others, will often reveal our less than pure motives. People who spend their whole lives watching others often have no life of their own. And so Christians, we need to take our eyes off others and then we look to Jesus. You know, again, Warren Wiersbe tells the story of waiting at a traffic light in in Chicago. He writes, there were two traffic signals that were so close together that, that there was this double set of street lights. He said the second set of lights, some 15 feet from the first set of lights, controlled the flow of traffic for safe merging. Wiersbe says, quote, the first time I drove the intersection, I almost jumped the gun because I was was watching the wrong set of lights. When I read this, have you ever been at at a red light and instead of looking at the red light, you look at the green light, which turns yellow in the opposite direction, which might be misleading. Wearsby writes, then I saw the sign, obey your own signal. (laughs) Whenever I'm tempted to watch other workers and get critical, I remember that sign. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus to please him. Are you watching your own signal? And look what it says in verse 13. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? 
Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. The people who bargained with God got exactly what they bargained for. Which should cause each and every person within the sound of my voice to pause. Especially if you're in the deal-making mood with God. Look, God, I'll make you a deal. If you'll do this to my husband or that to my wife, if you'll do this for my children, if you'll do this or that or this or that, this is the deal I'll make with you. (laughs) The first bargain for one silver denarius, and that's what they received. The others counted on the landowner's character, kindness, generosity. Can you imagine if you say, this is what I would really, really like to have from you, Lord. I'd love to have your grace. Because with his grace comes favor. With his grace comes opportunity. With his grace comes kindness. He says in verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Now think about it. The question exposed the selfish interest which we sometimes experience when we think that God is dealing with others differently than he's dealing with us. I probably shouldn't have to be the one to tell you, but I will. The God of the Bible is sovereign. The God of the Bible. Maintains. That he gives and takes. He allows and doesn't allow. The God of the Bible does what he pleases. And what he does. Pleases. Him. But it may not please you. And therein is the rub. God does what he pleases, but it doesn't always please those who feel that they've been unfairly treated or unjustly treated. Do you ever feel jealous because God seems to allow others to have way more than what you have? Do you think that God is unfair? In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is king. And Jesus makes choices. Jesus makes choices based on his wisdom and not human wisdom. Not based on human measures of justice, but on supernatural measure of justice. The Lord gives to each according to that man's need, not according to that man's greed. And not a single person... Listen carefully. Not a single person received less than they deserved. And it might be argued that most of them received much more than they deserved. James S. Stewart tells the lesson is the person who, quote, thinks to bargain about final rewards will always be wrong and God's loving kindness will always have the last 
unchallengeable word. William MacDonald adds, quote, the more we study the parable in this light, the more we realize that it's not only fair, but that it's even beautiful. And so, the last will be first, and the first last. Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. What is Jesus saying? I'm going to suggest to you that he's saying there are surprises involved with motives, with riches, with rewards. Some who think they will be first will be last. And some who think they're last will be first. Some motivated by selfless love and sacrifice, will find themselves on a mountain of gold and silver and precious gems. But some who are motivated by personal ambition, elevation, expectation, may find themselves on an ash heap of what used to be wood, hay, and stubble. Have you been called by Christ to work in the vineyard? Has Jesus issued the invitation and said, come, come, because the harvest is great and the laborers are few and the night is coming when no one can work. Do you serve Jesus out of love and loyalty or even out of an anticipation of reward? And by the way, it's not sinful to earn rewards that God and his grace will distribute to every faithful servant. The Bible speaks of five crowns for the believer. A crown imperishable. A crown of rejoicing. A crown of righteousness. A crown of glory. A crown of life. But the Bible in the book of Revelation seems to indicate that each person burdened by the crowns will place them at Jesus' feet who gave it to you to begin with. Are you concerned about your wages? Are you concerned about watching others and seeing what God gives to them? There's a little ditty. Deeds of merit as we thought them, he will show us were but sin. Little acts we had forgotten, he will show us were for him. It could be that you're called to labor in Christ's vineyard. And he invites you to give a hug, to give a smile, to give a handshake to give a prayer, to give an act of generosity and kindness and love. And by the way, by the way, each and every person minimum will get what they deserve. And maximum, grace.
merciful grace, astonishing grace, generous grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the parable has done its job. It's revealed to those who want to know. It's concealed from those who want to remain distant from their own heart, from their own attitude, from their own motives. But Lord, I pray that you would break our hard heart and you would reveal exactly, exactly what's going on inside of my heart. Lord, what is it that you want from me? What is it that you need from me? Lord, what is it that you are calling me to do? Lord, do I need an attitude adjustment? Have I found myself looking more and more at others and less and less at you? Lord, have I failed to be grateful for your generosity, for your abundant mercy for your exceptional loving kindness from your abounding grace Lord help me to get my head on straight and my heart right with you in Jesus name Amen let's stand